1: Hello everyone and welcome to So Very Wrong About Games, a board gaming podcast about board games. I am your co-host, Mark Bigney. Very glad to see 2021. And with me as always is Michael Walker. How are you doing, Walker? Well, I'm not quite with you, but but with you. (laughs) I see your little
2: picture. You're like a little picture far, far away and your voice is echoey, but I know it'll sound great to the
1: listeners. That's all that really matters. I suppose so. We have returned to remote recording just in time for the biggest episode of the year, and it happens to be our 150th episode. Fancy that, Walker. We've come so far. We've come so far. And the lag doesn't seem so bad as it was last time, so that's good. Always onwards and upwards. So... This is a board gaming podcast about board games. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the games we played last week. We're going to have a brief news segment, just a a, a tiny Scotia smidgen, a soupçon of news. And then we're going to leap into our 2020 review. We're going to do our top 10. We're going to do the best of categories. And then we're going to do the weird sort of idiosyncratic categories that we love to talk about. Are you excited, Walker?
2: I'm excited. My favorite episode, Mark. I love it. Before we've even
1: recorded it, that's auspicious. There you go. So what did you play this week, Mark? Well, first off, I'd just like to do a brief summary of the 2019 revisiting that I've been doing over the past few weeks, because obviously solo gaming is now more at a premium again because we're in lockdown. I tried the solo mode for Black Rose Wars. It was interesting, but not really the Black Wars exper- Black Rose Wars experience. Warp Gate, which was great, and Hellboy, which is fantastic. And so I really liked returning to those ancient, venerable antiquities released all of the a year or two years ago because in our hobby that of course qualifies them for grandparent status but in addition to that I played a couple of skirmish adjacent things with Dr. Stallone and I'm gonna talk about both of them because they actually share a number of similarities one of them I tried was Guardians which is a card game from Plat Hat Games and Guardians is a kind of a tug-of-war game a la Blood Bowl Team Manager or Smash Up but much better than either of those really you have the same Vague notion you have these areas in the middle of the board that you need to control. You're moving units back and forth. There's a lot of cards that do special things and special abilities. I am told that Guardians is basically Overwatch with the serial numbers filed off, but I wouldn't know because I've never played Overwatch. And I really quite enjoyed it. It's one of those games where your characters have special abilities and they can get things done, but a lot of the focus is on the special cards, but not in a way that feels unsatisfying or, oh, I had no idea that's the kind of thing that could happen. And so there was the opportunity for combos and some genuine give and take and back and forth without the feeling of being blindsided or ambushed. On top of all this, there's this lovely notion of ultimates that are being built up gradually over the course of the round. Every time you play a card with a certain icon, you get to put an energy icon on one of these ultimates, and so you get to see what's happening. These are all visible face up on the table. So I really did like that aspect of being able to, even on a first play, with characters that I had no idea about, get a sense of what was going on and the parameters. And that's a tricky balance to strike. And I often find that Plat Hat games don't quite hit that level, but I felt that Guardians was really solid. I thoroughly enjoyed Guardians. I thought it was very engaging, very fast moving. As I say, a lot of room for give and take, you know, leading me to want to try the other characters. So I I, I was left with a very positive impression of Guardians. We also played Super Fantasy Brawl. This is by Jochen Eisenhurst at uh, Mythic Games. This was released this year. And it, crossed my attention because there was some co-development work done by Archam Nichipurov, who has designed Guards of Atlantis and Warpgate and Trickshot, more on that later, I weep just mentioning it, and it was almost purely card-driven this time. Instead of, you know, you have some basic actions and cards can amplify them in the sense that Guardians does, this is almost purely a sense of, well, play a card and do what it says it does, but if you don't have a card that activates a given unit, here are some really terrible things you can do off to the side. And that I thought was Interesting, but I didn't like how it shook out in theory. For one thing, there were these reactions, and it really amplified the luck of the draw. It works like a card, deck builder, in that you discard your entire hand at the end of the round. So if you draw all your reactions at once and your opponent doesn't attack you, well, guess what? Your turn's gonna just stink. Or if you don't draw your reactions at all when your opponent's wailing on you, that's kind of awkward too. The deck size was sufficiently small that this actually happened a number of times over the course of our game, and that was unsatisfying. Further to which, the card effects were the exact opposite of what I was talking about in terms of Guardians. They were all unique. You never really had a sense of what was going to be happening. You could get a vague notion of what different characters would specialize in, but things just came out of nowhere, and it really felt like it was uh, all over the place. Now, the objective system was nice. There's this river of objectives that first get more and more valuable as time goes on, and then get less valuable further down they go and if you are satisfying the objectives at the start of your turn you get to claim any of them so it's a a traditional sort of i give you a round to try to mess with me kind of deal but i didn't think that the character design or the specific way that the card activation really played to that strength it was enjoyable i like almost all skirmishy type things but between the two i definitely got similar vibes between guardians and super fantasy brawl albeit in very different ways and i definitely preferred guardians and for what it's worth I think it's probably my favorite Plat Hat game of the past few years. Plat Hat games often are near misses for me, but I, I I did thoroughly enjoy Guardians and it's got an expansion in it, so with more characters, but and people are clamoring for yet more content, which Plat Hat doesn't look like it's gonna be doing. But of course Plat Hat has been bought and sold about five times since I started talking, so it's tough to tell what they're gonna be doing going forward. So that's my it's sort of true. skirmishy adjacent experiences over the past few weeks. What did you play this week, Walker? I got to play some Mega City. I showed you this game. We
2: hate dexterity games, so we pulled out. The, I wanted to purchase this game called Mega City, where you have all these acrylic tiles, and you're building these futuristic-looking cities on your little on your little tile, on your little hexagon cardboard piece, and you got to slide it into the middle of the board, and you create this giant, you know, metropolis city in the middle, and it looks fantastic. Unfortunately, most like other dexterity games, they try to impose rules on them, and rules stink <laughs> in dexterity games.
1: Rules are bad. You hate rules.
2: Where they, they had this great idea, and they just didn't... Because I could see where some of the cards, they say you, you can only use a certain number of pieces. And that's kind of boring. You want to make these giant things. It says, no, you can only use five pieces. And then once we realize that that's fine... Reading the rules, it seems like it's one of these things where it's like, okay, well, it's the other player's turns. This is when you build your city. And then when it's your turn, one of your actions is to slide it in. And this game proceeds very smooth like that. And it doesn't, especially if you're only playing two players. That player takes two actions and then it's your turn. And then you grab some tiles and you want to build and, but you're not really supposed to when it's not your turn. And then, and then you say, okay, well, I'll just do this other action because I, I, you know, Cause I have to at least do two actions mm. and then it's their turn and you quickly try to build something and they do two quick actions and then suddenly you turn again. And then it's like, well, it just did the time. It didn't quite work out with only two players. And then the components didn't quite work out with two players because they give you enough cubes. You're supposed to be putting cubes on each of your buildings. And then the game only ends once you've built all these blueprints, but you only have enough cubes to build all the buildings. Oh. So if one player builds a few more buildings than the other player, then they don't have enough cubes and it just doesn't make much sense. And then the whole end of the game, like I said, you have to build everything and it just seems to drag on. But I'm looking forward to playing with more players. Hopefully, it will pan out a little differently.
1: I have a question for you. That beautiful video you shot of Mega City's Oceania, was that actually the end game state or did you make it? 100%. Something up?
2: Oh, wow. That was the end of the game.
1: That was with the buildings. That is legitimately cool.
2: Don't get me wrong. The game looks fantastic. It is super fun to play. It's just, like I said, just the way the rules sort of interfere with the flow of the game. Pretty well near the end, we just, you know, said, okay, you know, it's your turn. Take your time. Do whatever you like. I'll fiddle around over here while you're doing that. And then, you know, we just went sort of went back and forth. It's like, okay, is it my turn to do a couple actions? Okay, I'll grab some pieces. And it went back and forth like that, so... And then that being said, once you get through the basic blueprints, then you get into like the, the mega blueprints where it's just, it has to be five plus pieces. So you can just go outrageously crazy with those. Ah. So after a while you can go crazy.
1: I wonder, Walker, based on your hatred of rules, your disdain for range restrictions, and your general dislike of subtlety or restraint, if your ideal dexterity game is being handed a sledgehammer and then being let loose in say uh, some sort of masonry environment and told to destroy whatever you want.
2: Okay, I trademark that now. That's my game. No okay. one else can make it.
1: That's okay. me. No, it's
2: just it's when it's when rules get in the way of fun where it's like, okay, this is a great idea, and I wish there was just they mechanicked it out slightly different that it wouldn't get in the way of, of having fun instead of trying to rules lawyer it all the time. I hear and you. That is Mega City, put out by Hub Games, designed by Jordan Draper and Michael Fox. Then you and I got to play Condos for Senior Citizens, designed by Luke Laurie and published by Breaking Games. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what no, it's wait, called. Why? sorry. Sorry. Dwellings of Eldervale. which is which is interesting because we also played another game by luke laurie and we just played it today whistle mountain and they both share the same sort of thing where you both have uh odd or different workers and you put them out and they do different things
1: and both games are similar in that they employ the same dynamic or tempo of worker placement whereby on your turn you either put out a worker or you take all your workers back so let's get back
2: to dwellings of elder Vale. do we have to We do. I, I think I'd like to give it another try. Like you said, it, the combat, like I feel the combat system was terrible and is almost unforgivable. (laughs) But other than that, the game was slightly engaging, right? Uh, Figuring out how to get your workers out, uh, manipulating the board, the resources, everything else was very interesting. And then it got to the combat and then that's where the game just died.
1: I definitely agree that the combat is the apex of its awfulness, but the good parts aren't exploited properly. For example, one of the reasons why I was enthusiastic to try Dwellings of Eldervale, uh, granted this was in the context of our death march to play the hot games of 2020 to, to make sure that we, we could try to be as comprehensive as possible for our best of lists, was this idea of getting these tokens and then customizing your tableau cards. Because you're, you you're going to get these tableau cards, you're going to have these random inputs that you can then change over the course of getting these other tokens and so you can sort of customize the tableau and that seemed neat and even when I was explaining the rules Huey responded when I explained how that works like "Ooh, that sounds awesome. And it just didn't materialize in any substantial way. You get a couple of cards in your tableau. Maybe a small number of them can be customized. You slot in a couple of chits and you call it a day. There wasn't this dynamic notion of acquiring a card and then working to make it just the perfect kind of card for you so it could work really well. Much like the kind of joy you would get from fine-tuning your economy in Sidereal Confluence. right? Just getting the right combination of upgrades and looking and saying, yes, this is now humming the way I want it to. And on top of that, there was this awful combat system. And normally when there's an unfortunate resolution mechanism, you might be able to ignore it, or it might just hive it off, or not focus on it. But Dwellings of Eldervale has a set of very specific building requirements. Specific resources required, and very specific placement restrictions. And the resource inputs are fundamentally random, and the combat outputs dislodge workers like crazy. They might get shoved around by an opponent's power. They might get kicked to the curb. And you can be in a situation where I show up and I maximize my combat odds and somebody else doesn't and they win precisely because the resolution mechanism is is, is relatively uh, porous and relatively parsimonious in terms of the results. And then you're in a situation where, and this is actually going to be something that I had a little bit of a problem with Whistle Mountain, but less so. Just by virtue of the tempo, everyone else has all their workers out or a substantial number of workers out and you just lost a big fight. And all your workers are gone. And there's nowhere for you to show up. If I place here, a monster comes and kills me. If I show up here, well, that's blocked by an opponent. If I show up here, well, they can just come and stomp on me for practically no cost. I just have to hope to get lucky or go somewhere that I don't really want to go and just hope that the board's going to look better later. I agree. There's lots of good stuff in Dwellings of Eldervale. I like the customization. I wish there was more of it. Some of the special powers are neat. I just really felt the combat ruined it, and as I said while playing, I don't like it in a game where the building requirements are very specific. You need two of this resource, one of this resource, one of this other resource, and the resource inputs are all fundamentally random at the end of the day. So I, I ultimately found it tedious and unfortunate and fluky. True. Like, I, I love the part
2: when you pull your workers back, that's when you trigger all these special abilities, but the fact that your workers can get sucked into all these combats that you have no control over because someone else stirred to fight with a monster, and then you have no workers to pull back at the end because they're all in the graveyard.
1: And the the arc of the game is unfortunate as well, because the ga- the map starts, and there's almost certainly going to be a monster on the map. So you have this small map with a monster that's going to come chase you if you place adjacent to it. And at the start of the game, you don't really have a way to kill the monster, unless, of course, again, you get an incredibly fluky combat result, which banking on those is not a good idea. And then near the end of the game, killing monsters becomes trivial.
2: True. Sure, I want to just make sure we're clear that this is after the first round. We did not let the monsters attack us in the first round we did have the actually first of piece. I, don't think,
1: I don't think you were playing right you should play the game right before yeah, you talk
2: about I the know, game i know i just want you to just make don't sure don't clear before the yes. messages came in
1: absolutely yeah there were a number of clever things about dwellings of Eldervale that just didn't manifest and the tedious elements just kept coming back and so i, I felt it was a seriously wasted opportunity in a lot of ways and then we played bonfire which i
2: don't think as was as much of a waste uh to me anyway i really like this is a new, the new Stefan Feld, really large Euro game. The theme is laughable, but the actual playing of the game I thought was very interesting and fun. You're like, Bob, getting these goals. And when you succeed in the goals, it'll let you get these bonuses, which will like slowly churn your engine that much faster. And you're trying to, you know, line up. It's got this huge end game scoring, which I'm sure, I'm not sure if it manifested or you could figure out why. You weren't supposed to know who was winning the game, but there must be a reason why. But anyway, all the scoring comes off your own little personal player board, and I, I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was really fun, and I'm glad that I own a copy.
1: I want to play Bonfire some more. I enjoyed it. I thought it was neat. I, I've commented before that I'm in favor of Euro games that work on this fundamentally goal-based mechanism. Acquire this thing that says get the specific combination of resources, or the specific combination of location things, or some other weird combination of things, and cash that in to get points. It offers a sense of focus. It can make a, point, uh, a game that would otherwise feel like point salad not be point salad. And so naturally, this being a Stefan Feld game, it, it it helped blunt that sensation. Uh, I think the theme is worse than laughable. I think the theme actually impedes one's ability to understand what's going on, because just in the sense of trying to explain to people how the game worked we ended up having to use our own terminology to try to make it clearer, but that led to another set of confusions. It's this weird... Like, the story at the start of the game doesn't make any sense at all. The only bit that makes any sense is the notion that you have to have a portal to be able to go from the outer ring to the inner ring. That's okay, fine. I'm not so sure why all the scoring is at the end of the game as well. You're right. There's not a whole lot of player interaction. There's a little bit of, I'm going to go take this thing before you can.
2: I think it's all about the the central... Uh the pink pointer like i was talking about i think if you can see the leader really needs a certain portal that you can you the the rest of the table can circumvent him getting that by just turning it you know so he'll never almost ever get it
1: right but that has nothing to do with knowing what the scores are i mean if i want to block you i can block you regardless of whether or not the portals happen to be there
2: true i'm just saying you know knowing who the leader is means you, you the windows m- more wide open for you know to put obstacles in his way. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Their way. Their way, yes.
1: So I yeah, I agree with you. Uh, One of the things that I had against Bonfire, though, honestly, was I was getting serious Voyages of Marco Polo vibes. Albeit in a thematically clumsy, kind of awkward scarcity way, because Voyages of Marco Polo is fundamentally about traveling and satisfying demands similarly a lot of what you're doing in bonfire there's a lot more going on in bonfire absolutely i just wonder if it gets you the, the same payoff because fundamentally what you're going to get a lot of your points at bonfire is traveling to go get those demands and then satisfying those demands this is a bit of an oversimplification but at the end of the day i i i felt that i prefer to play voyages of marco polo the one thing that i really liked about bonfire though and is really not evident on your first play especially if you're accustomed to other euro games is your actions in bonfire are driven by these action chits and there is kind of sort of a hard cap on the number of chits that you're naturally going to be able to generate. And different players will have different chits at different times. And it's very easy as a new player. At the start of the game, it's like, oh, okay, well, I get, uh, I have three of these chits. And, oh, then I generate two more. Oh, okay, I'll just be able to do this forever. No, 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 no. Those might be more or less the only chits of those kinds you're ever going to do. So you'd better take advantage of those actions and get done what you need to get done. Because in the future, those actions are going to be excruciatingly difficult for you. And after the mid-game, I quite appreciated that element.
2: Yeah, I definitely tried to emphasize that at the beginning of the game. That resources and these action chits are going to disappear. And these are the things that are going to be hard to get.
1: No, you didn't. You yes just said did. that they would be scarce. You didn't emphasize the extent to which there was <laughs> just, kind of a fixed I just limit. said there'd be scarce. Uh, See,
2: that, that's so open to interpretation. No, d- <laughs> I understand.
1: <clears throat> and that was Bonfire by felt All
2: right, let's talk about uh, Caravan because it sounded like you enjoyed it. And I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about Caravan that we played on Board Game Arena.
1: I really liked Caravan. As promised, it's super minimalistic. It feels like a pickup and deliver game with a lot of the extraneous elements shorn off. It wasn't as confrontational as I think it would be with four. We only played with three players. And as promised, the three-player game felt a little too friendly. It was still a little cutthroat, and I made a couple of very, very bad mistakes in that end because the whole theft mechanism didn't appear for the first few turns. And so I thought very naively, I'm very pollyanna everyone always tells me this. Oh, so theft just isn't going to be a thing. The board's too wide open. There's no problem with that. Oh, I just need to to juggle around these camels. Okay, this cube's kind of in my way, because every time you pick up a cube, it's actually burdensome. I'll just move it over here. And then someone else would say, hmm, Mark, you moved that cube within two steps of the city where it needs to go. Uh screw you, and would just show and show up and take it. And that was was awesome. That was great. That was really neat. I liked that. It really, really showed me the opportunities of the game. And as I say, I imagine it would happen more with four players. But I really like these super minimalistic, super confrontational, very transparent Euros. And Caravan was very, very engaging in that respect.
2: Yeah, I love it. Like you said, super fast, super fun.
1: It'll set up really quick.
2: I'm interested to try it in real life to see if it still plays out still has that feel that quick feel because the board game arena implementation is quite nice but i want to see how it works out i'm one and the only thing i'm worried about is the randomness of the draw because sometimes you saw how it was you know came some people got cubes very easily and some didn't and it, it could feed right into a line that you've already got set up and sometimes that could happen multiple times and i'm hoping that it doesn't pan out too bad
1: Well, this is one of those times where I think the digital implementation really does a service because when you know what the composition of available cubes is, and the cubes come out randomly, and as you say, they might just happen to show up on a pre-existing line that somebody has on a space that somebody's camped on or what have you. When you know what the composition of the cubes is, you can try to make a bet as to what's going to show up. Midway through the game of Caravan, I look down and say, Ah, a lot of the pink cubes haven't shown up yet. Most of the other uh, cubes are gone, but there's still a lot of pink. I'll just camp on the pink space and camp on a couple of cube spawning areas that are empty and hope that a pink comes up. And sure enough, one did. If the composition of the bag were opaque... That would exacerbate that luck element because I, I agree with you entirely. It was a gamble, but it was an informed gamble. In the physical version, it would probably be an uninformed gamble, and that would probably feel arbitrary and unsatisfying.
2: And the other thing that worked out differently was when the board reset, when the new cubes came out. Because I've been playing it, uh, you know, uh, turn a day or turn, you know, every four few hours, where it really felt as though this is my turn, time to take a turn. I'm just going to do what I need to do, regardless of whatever whatever else happens but when we we're playing it uh immediately it's like okay well if i take this cube the board's going to reset and a bunch of new cubes are going to go out and i might not be able to utilize those cubes right away and there was a trade-off of whether okay i'm just going to waste a turn and let somebody else uh, reset the board
1: absolutely resetting the board on at the start of your turn can be very advantageous because you get first crack at all that new stuff resetting it uh the board at the end of your turn very very risky and you might be better off just skipping the action And that was Caravan. Designed by Joe Huber and published by Rio Grande. Nice. Shall we
2: talk next about Dune Imperium? Sure. This is a a game designed by Paul Drennan, put out by Direwolf Games. Now, this is another one that's been rocketing up the hotness list and something we had, we really needed to, shouldn't say needed to play, but I, I definitely wanted to play it before we did the show. It is a, a deck builder based on the new movie that will never come out because it it was made in the before <laughs> times. And uh, it had some interesting, if, if not completely original, but some very interesting. It was done by the same people that did Clank, so it had a lot of the same mechanisms and a little few things that were the same. I felt as though it didn't bring too much new to the table, but still used stuff that they had already implemented in other games and used it quite well, I thought.
1: In many ways, I thought that Dune Imperium felt a little bit like what I wanted Lost Runes of Arnak to be. One of my complaints about the Lost Runes of Arnak was I didn't feel the card play and the board play were as tightly integrated normally what you would do is you would just ditch a card so as to be able to get your worker where they wanted to go and at the end of it the worker would just do something independently here a lot of the cards had special effects based on what the worker was going to then go do and there was far more restriction perhaps even too much restriction in terms of what cards could send your workers where and so that part i thought was neat and it really drove what cards you wanted to purchase that having been said uh, I didn't really feel like the card variety in terms of purchasing decisions was ever pr- particularly satisfying. It was one of those things where there are a couple generic cards that are pretty bad. Uh, one generic card that's super expensive and you mostly buy to get points. And then you just have this rotating five-card display of cards to purchase. And I, I never really felt like I had – mostly it's like I, I've got four four space boxes, we would call it. I'll just go buy the three or four space buck card because that's the only one out there. Okay, fine. I would have liked a little bit more tension in terms of what to buy. Some deck builders do this very well. Some don't. I didn't think that Dune Imperium did so very well. The other, the other fault I had against Dune Imperium is it was too long for what it was. I, I think it could have easily shaved off an hour. It We ended prematurely, and if the game had gone the distance, it probably would have been easily a, a two-and-a-half to three-hour game, and that's too much for what was going on. So I, I liked what it did with the card play, marrying to the board play. I just wish the card purchasing decisions had been better i wish some of the there'd been a little bit more latitude in terms of how to how to get these things across and i agree with you that there wasn't anything even really novel the final note i would just point out is there's been some discussion about how Dooney it feels, because there are some people who take Dune very seriously. And I do not wish to impose my views on Dune on the rest of the world. Uh, but I've spoken to people who care very much about Dune, and their comment about how Dooney it felt was, well, there sure were pictures of actors on it.
2: There you go. I'm trying to remember. Did you remember anyone buying any of the general cards whatsoever? Some people bought the card that let you burn other cards is that what it did the weird portal one
1: no there was the spacer card that let you go to any of the guilds and burn guilds and burned itself gotcha. there was that's the, the one ca- there was the card that every deck builder has which is the card that costs three and generates two points of income in other which words i didn't see sold. anyone take right nobody bought any of those that. no and nobody had enough money to buy the card that was basically buying a point point. Because, of course, your goal is to get to 10 points in Dune Imperium. So buying a point is a huge deal. Uh, But no one really had their currency revved up to that extent. I bought a card, which again could have been interesting, that reduced the cost of that card on the turn that the first card was played. And I was hoping on a future turn to be able to sneak that out if I got enough money involved. I would have liked a little, you know, more combos like that would have been cool. I would have appreciated that.
2: I like the fact that all the different players had different abilities and the fact that there was sometimes different avenues to look at for victory. Like you go heavy into combat or you could go heavy into the political and, you know, win in different ways there. I have, like you said, I wish there was ways you could get, like a lot of times I got my cards and I could not go to the spaces I needed. I said, if I only, I could do this. And if, if they could just let you burn an extra card or burn an extra worker, like I literally needed one space, I would have burned right. everything to go to that one space. So if they had just some sort of mechanism there that, that you, you know, burn a worker to go there or burn extra cards, I think that would have gone a long way to make the game more playable.
1: I agree. And if, when it is your turn to buy, Those cards that give you a little bit more of that positional flexibility are available, well then that's great. And if you can nab one or two of those cards early, and other people can't just by virtue of the luck of the flop, well that's going to lead to a very problematic game, I think. And that is Dune Imperium, put out by Direwolf. I get to play Nadavalier another couple of times. I wanted to try out the solo version, and I have to say the solo version of Nadavalier was surprisingly effective. It reduces the availability of hero cards that you can purchase, mostly so that it can make the AI competitive, but nonetheless it it, it does its job. And I still felt like I was actually playing Nadavalier rather than some sort of weird pseudo-solo version. That's kind of my objection to Black Rose Wars. And Nadavalier remains very, very quick, very charming. I introduced it to new players as well as playing it solo. I'll repeat my common critique of Nadavalir, which is that the first half of the game feels more interesting than the second half, but I will say that I've come to terms with that, and the second half is still very enjoyable. I still very much like trying to get that card that will maximize my score. It's just it's a little bit less of the jockeying for, for majorities amongst other players, but that having been said, given how quick and cheerful it is, and I really like the art, I like the setting, I enjoy the coin building mechanism where you you can take an opportunity cost to increase the value of your coins which will let you buy better things later and which also reduces the prevalence of ties in the second half of the game which is satisfying because the, the tiebreaker is fine but it's it's a little it's a little kludgy and not as satisfying as just being w- to win outright because you have the better coins i thoroughly recommend the Daveler. it's cheerful it's it's cheap it's cute and i'm al- almost always in the mood for an lfg a little french game And so this is another game by Serge Léger. He really knows what he's doing, and blind bidding isn't my favorite form of auction, but I think that N'Dabler does it really, really, really well. N'Dabler remains consistently engaging and charming, and I recommend it. All right, and today
2: we played Whistle Mountain. We already spoke of it quickly, briefly earlier. Fortunately, I was sort of pulled out of the game at the beginning due to technical difficulties that I was trying to fix, but I think overall I'm really looking forward to playing this game again. You're getting special abilities that help your actions. You're putting down the scaffolding to make place for these buildings, which everyone can use, but gives you a bunch of victory points. You're trying to get your workers higher up on the tower to get victory points. I don't want to make it sound like I'm overly excited about this game, but it I do think it deserves uh, one more play just to see how it goes.
1: I played again. It was fine. Whistle Mountain feels very, very much like a busier games game. It has the same kind of graphic design, a lot of the same conceits, a lot of this same kind of tiling feel. One of the things that I objected to it was when building buildings, and there are a lot of different cool buildings, you're not really incentivized to build particular kinds of buildings to benefit your economy because you're not going to get a chance to activate them first. There's nothing about them that makes it feel like you're building. You know, of course, the the pinnacle of this is Kalis, where you build buildings that you specifically know you want other people to activate because you're going to get some benefit and or you're going to get income every time they go visit it. Here in Whistle Mountain, uh, I was completely checked out on most of the uh, building's ability I would just look at how many points it got and I was just building the, the, the highest value ones. No, gonna, like you said, there's a lot of
2: games when I was going through our, for our upcoming list that unfortunately a lot of the games fell into I think what you're about to say sort of like a, a rhythm where one, you know, you do an act, you know, you, you see how you get victory points. So it's your turn. You do the action that lets you do this. And then you do the other action where you get the resources to finish that off. And then you do your last action to get resources to get, re- get you ready to do the exact same thing next turn.
1: Yeah. I will say though, in its defense that Whistle Mountain, unlike both Nadavelir and. Dwellings of Eldervale, it opens up in a kind of satisfying way. In the early game, it's very hard to get anything done. But in a a reasonably satisfying way. You're scrabbling for resources. And then as the game goes on, more and more scaffolds get built. And that opens up the ability to build machines. And then when you build the machines, you get to use machines to go do more interesting things. That having been said, there's not a whole heck of a lot of player interaction. You're mostly just going to your own thing and doing the rhythm. Put out some build... uh, Put out the... Worker to get the resources, put out the worker to get the buildings, pull the workers back, build the buildings, score lots of points, repeat, 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 repeat. That and there's a number of just lazy design elements that really tell me that the game doesn't have a a finely tuned sensibility. Like, for example, in the action card deck, which is just one more thing on top of anything else, one of the cards is discard this card to draw two more cards. I'm like, come on, guys. That's a gimme. That's an indication you're not thinking about this very seriously.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I played that card just for that reason. It's like, hey, let me see if I can put this card out and see if Mark sees this. Oh yeah,
1: no, Obvi- yeah, obviously you just... play it as soon as you get it. I mean, I'm yeah. not criticizing your play of the card. No, no, no. I mean, I
2: mean, I just sort of silently slid it out onto the the discard pile just to and, and you know, rubbed <laughs> my hands together and said, "Okay, here comes the train wreck." I was just going to say, lastly, it's, uh, it's great. Say it's not as a gateway game, but say if you have a, uh, more of an intro group and you've, and you've introduced them some basic worker placement games, this is definitely like the next step to get them a little more, you know, different mechanisms working with worker placement for sure.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I would also just finally note that the theme is incredibly absurd, not in a problematic way like Bonfire. In Bonfire, the theme actually makes the game harder to understand. Whistle Mountain is just really strange. It's like, okay, small machines need coal, but big machines need iron. And the biggest machines need both coal and iron. Okay, fine. And to save workers, you throw gold at them. And like, wait, hold on. And whistles are wild and can be used for anything. It's like, wait, wait, slow down. And it's just... (laughs) And you must build all your machines under
2: the bridge. I think that's to appease the troll. Maybe, maybe we're, there's some information they're not
1: giving us. Maybe, Walker, you're already making the game better by virtue of your refaming. There you go. Just why are your workers drowning? Why is it your fault that they're drowning? How do you prevent them from drowning by throwing gold ingots at their faces? My, I, look, I'm no lifeguard, but I don't think that's how you save a drowning person. See, see,
2: they just don't want to say, Mark. You're actually putting them out of their misery, and then, then, then and then they rise. Uh,
1: yeah, I see. Wow, this game to is
2: grim. It. It's pretty dark. And this is Whistle Mountain, designed by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie, the same guy that designed uh, Dwellings of Eldritch Mill, and published, like you said, by Bézier Games.
1: Played Aristocracy again. Aristocracy was released last year by Reiner Knizia, and it was a sort of an under-the-radar, tasty minstrel uh, release. I'm just going to go out on a limb. I have a number of controversial opinions like my views on the moral status of animals or the relative merits of some sci-fi properties like Firefly or Prometheus, but uh, I don't think I'm going to raise too many tempers by saying that Reiner Quincy knows what he's doing when it comes to tile placement. And Aristocracy is a very, very simple tile-laying game, and it has a cool push-your-luck element. It's very simple. You've got this map, and on your turn you flip over three tiles, and then you pick a type of tile, and you activate all the tiles that show that symbol. So sometimes you just want to activate whatever's showing the most of for a variety of benefits. Sometimes you look over and say, well, that's not the best, but if I don't take it, my, one of my opponents well, I'd better take it now. Or you just hope to let it ride, very much the same way that you might want to, the, the, the same tension you have with respect to resources in Agricola say, well, you know, 3-wood is not an optimal placement, but if I don't take the 3-wood now, someone else might. Or do I let it ride for the 6-wood later? There's not a whole lot going on in aristocracy. It's just standard sort of point-scoring elements of connect these two areas in the map, get points. You get points for having lots of buildings in the same area, get points, stuff like that. But ultimately... I really enjoyed it. It's light, it's quick, it's accessible. I've enjoyed all of Reiner Knitzia's titling games with the exception of Kingdoms and all the it, the subsequent iterations there. You know, those ones just feel like the standard joke about Knitzia games. You feel like you're doing some sort of spreadsheet or some math exercise. But Aristocracy is cute and accessible and I'm very glad that I revisited it. And that was Aristocracy by Reiner Canizia.
2: All right, lastly for me, we've had to put our Pandemic Legacy Season Zero campaign on hold due to pandemic season 2020. <laughs> and we've decided to switch to online gloomhaven jaws of the lion. And I think the digital Im- implementation is great. It uh, sets everything up for us. I like how. I shouldn't say this because I like sort oh, sort of how it associates with the way the new Jaws of line works. You literally open up the book, the maps there. You just have to populate the map. You don't have to worry about you know pulling out all these different tiles and and piece them all together. There's like two. I, I shouldn't say too much because I actually haven't pulled out my copy, but isn't there like two books that you sort of say turn to this page on this book and this page on this book and you piece them together? I really like how the new characters work. Uh like how much they're different than all the other characters. You know, he seems to do this great job of just tweaking the cards slightly and makes you feel as though they have these totally different abilities and how they work, enjoying it just as much as they did Gloomhaven and more on this later.
1: Well actually why don't we use that as the segue to our very brief and podcast specific news segment, if that's acceptable to you. So this is a multiple five episode where we talk about the Patreon, so we have suspended our pandemic campaign as mentioned, and so now our bi-weekly show, The Cure Files, is going to be replaced by The Hobo Chronicles, where we talk about our ongoing Jaws of the Lion campaign, and so for more thoughts on Jaws of the Lion, how it differs from Gloomhaven, what's happening in the adventures, and so forth, full of spoilers, full of laughs, and full of deadly, deadly murder, you can tune into that. Uh, We are going to be ending our special pay for 10 months, get two months free sale in a a couple of days. After that, we're going to replace it with a a, a lower discount of pay for 11 months, get one month free. Anyway, uh, we're very proud of our Patreon content over the course of the year. Uh, please feel free to check it out if you're so inclined. And I thought that's fine, too. We're not here to try to pressure you into giving us any money. We are just happy that you're willing to share some time with us.
2: Yeah, and we also did something new this year for our top 10. We used this uh, website called PubMeeple, and we both put in our top 20 and used the PubMeeple to figure out what our top 10 is going to be. And we both recorded this, and that will be up on Patreon soon as well.
1: And this is actually a good opportunity to segue into our year in review for 2020, and I'd just like to mention, just as a a minor preface note, the Gloomhaven problem, because Walker and I, as well as many, many other people, are sufficient fans of Gloomhaven, and specifically of that card-based puzzle combat system that offers so many delightful tactical dilemmas and strategic trade-offs, that... Pretty much any year, there's going to be a Gloomhaven product. It's going to be in solid contention for, if not game of the year, definitely very high up on the top 10. And uh, for now, anyway, after considering the matter, we've just decided to simplify our lives and declare that Jaws of the Lion is an expansion. So
2: <laughs> I think that's legitimate. If it can be played with all of the other Gloomhaven stuff or interact with them normally, wow. then, I think, then I think it's a legitimate uh, you know thing to say that it can be considered an expansion.
1: It's not compatible with all of the material, but anyway, it's the kludge we've decided on for now. So we will talk about it later, but not in the context of our top ten. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about our personal top ten of 2020, and then on top of that... Super bonus. You deserve 11 games from each of us. We're going to talk about our game of the year. So we'll we'll start with our personal top tens and then our game of the year, Walker. What was your 10th best game of 2020?
2: Mark, this is a game that came out of nowhere. I saw it. I didn't think much of it. It came from Pandasaurus Games when it got pulled out of the box. It's like, Oh, this is going to be a cute, cutesy sort of segue game. It's called Gods Love Dinosaurs, and this is a fantastic game of keeping your little player board balanced because we have the dinosaurs that have to eat predators and predators that have to eat prey. And you got to keep this very interesting balance of all these things alive and spreading around so that you can utilize all your actions every turn. Love it. We'll play it anytime. Gods love dinosaurs.
1: I'll be talking about that later. And my number 10 is a game that I think you'll be talking about later. And that is Iwari. Iwari is kind of complicated for me because Iwari is a brilliant area-majority game by Michael Schacht that I've been playing for a very, very long time. And Iwari is, although a very excellent area-majority game that I'll happily play any time, it is also the worst instantiation, for my tastes, of this system. I prefer both Han and Web of Power, which were two of the versions that were released previously. I have less experience with the, the version called China. And so there were some usability issues, and I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the new modules and some of the other maps... So, I realized that this is highly idiosyncratic, and honestly, one thing I should stress about all of our of my top ten anyway is Catch Me on a Different Day, and some of these rankings might move a couple of uh, of levels, but that's not a function of my indifference. That, I think, is a function of how quality a year 2020 was in terms of releases. And honestly, even my 11 to 20 are solid games that I would play any time at the drop of a hat. So Iwari maybe deserves to be higher, but because of my indifference to the the particular production that was done by Thundergriff, Iwari is going to be my number 10 game.
2: Coming at number 9 is My City by Reiner Knizia. It's sort of a leg, you can play it normally, but we play it legacy style. I'm just going to talk about it under the legacy part. Never mind the, the normal game you can play. I think this is a fantastic, uh, way to spend, you know, uh, I don't know how many games, 15 games, 18 games, whatever it was. It leads you through this great poly domino, you know, strategy of different ways to put them out, different ways to start the game, different ways they score. And I will play it again anytime. My City by Reiner Knizia.
1: My City is also my number nine uh, for my personal top ten. I will add only that as a mark of its quality, despite the fact that it's a very simple game, very straightforward, you've got these constant little revisions that upended the formula. You couldn't play the same way every time. And I was willing to play this three times back to back. Day after day after day to complete the campaign because I was sufficiently engaged. There are not many games I can say that about. My City, easily my number nine of the year. My number eight,
2: Imperial Spells and Steam. So this is a game by Level 99 Games where you're putting out trains and making these deliveries. And you have special abilities on top of special abilities. You're building your little engine. (laughs) Haha, see what they did there with the engine building, train? Yeah, I saw. I I wish I didn't, but I saw. Okay. I saw. So you're you're creating this uh, cool little tableau where as you move your little pawn along your cars, each car gets more and more powerful as you build all these abilities, and you're filling up the map with trains and collecting these victory points as they slowly dwindle off the board and trying to steal them before the other players do.
1: Imperial Spells and Steam came
2: in at number eight.
1: Imperial is just shy of my top 10. I'll be talking about it a little bit more later. My number 8 is Eclipse, Second Dawn from the Galaxy. I will just reiterate what we said during our full review of the game a few months ago. Eclipse is brilliant when it's not being stupid and painful. And it is those moments of brilliance that really manage to elevate the entire game, despite the fact that it doesn't do anything to solve a lot of the fundamental multiplayer conflict game problems of A fights, B and C wins. There's still too much turtling, even though they've reduced that in the second edition. The second edition is a glorious overproduced beautiful over expensive production but eclipse does a great job of taking a lot of those epic feeling 4x experiences and condensing it down into a two and a half to three hour experience in a beautiful package and the ship customization is absolutely peerless if it weren't for the ship customization i would not play eclipse but because it's there and because it's so good, I will happily play Eclipse and put put up with its manifest failings. That is my number eight, Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy.
2: Eclipse will be coming up later on my list, so I'll talk about it then. This just brings into Gage how I made this list and the fact that... I love this pub meeple thing because it brings these two games up and you see them come up, come up in the screen and, and you figure out, well, why am I going to pick one over the other? Right. You know, is it, you know, is it great at different player counts? Is it, it you know, is it good with certain groups or, you know, what it just, you know, brings out why I just hate making these lists. And I just said right from the beginning, it's like, <laughs> if I had. The ideal people to play with the right number. I was in the right mindset and I had to choose which of these two games are going to go out on the table. Then this is what it'd be. And, and the other thing is like, how do you put like a my city up against eclipse? Right. Where my city is such a quick little game. and It's like, if, if, if I've, if I was going to have a gaming night and it was just my city or a game of eclipse, then. I'm going to pick Eclipse every time because I'd I'd feel unfulfilled if we just played one game in my city and then called it a night. You know what I'm saying? It's just such a weird trade-off. But anyway, this being said, (laughs) coming in at number seven, Beyond the Sun, this is another game when I saw pictures of it. I thought it was going to be an interesting, complex game, and it all worked out to be very interesting. It's this giant tech tree In front of you with a combat map on the side that's like an area majority and you can sort of do everything nice and balanced or there's some there's some strategies where you can say that you can get your early lead over here on the combat board and then siphon it over onto the tech tree and there's all sorts of different ways you can do things i love the fact that when you research something first you're the only one that can use it for a while until people catch up it's just an all-round very interesting game beyond the sun
1: i have Merely two things to add. Number one, I'll be talking about it later. And number two, give me back my copy. You stole it. This is true. My number seven is UltraQuest. I had deep misgivings about the Ultra Quest by the Sadler Brothers after the deep disappointment that was Brook City, but I love Street Masters, and I was worried that they just didn't know how to iterate on their modular deck system without making the system bloated and cumbersome. I was very pleased with what they did with Ultra Quest. They managed to get all the complexity in a manageable form so that every quest feels different and independent they deal with a lot of standard dungeon crawling tropes but by the same token they do some more interesting variations on it you have rescue missions you have to put up plagues you have to put up fires you have to do all kinds of different feeling things that give you just a level of customization and narrative without making things cumbersome or difficult to manage because i have to manage a lot of games for a lot of different people and at the point where it gets too cumbersome it starts to feel too much like work and i was worried that that was gonna that ultra quest was gonna run afoul of it but absolutely not it's a beast it's still going to be two hours and it's going to eat up your entire table space and it's a little difficult to explain how to play, but Alter Quest is ultimately worth it. In the dungeon-crawling genre that often retreats the old the same old tropes and the same old mechanisms, Alter Quest feels simultaneously like a throwback to all the good elements of it, but simultaneously also like a nice textured improvement on the genre. I'm a big fan of Ultra Quest. I'm glad I took the, the leap and I'm glad I stuck with it. Not for everybody, certainly but an excellent game. Number seven is ultra Quest.
2: Number six for me is a fantastic skirmish game called For What Remains. And this is a game that uses a bunch of uh, cardboard tokens and you get to build your own army and there are six different armies you can choose from now. And they all have their own special abilities and there's not, none of this, you know, fantastic over the top abilities coming out of nowhere. Once you they're usually all the same right from the beginning of the game right to the end. They're even, they even get downgraded sometimes as you wound units. They get less and less abilities. They move less. They shoot worse. And I love that in this game. It's one of these systems where you roll a bunch of dice and no matter how many successes you get, Oh, I got at least one. Then it gets wounded, not five wounds and it's destroyed off the table before you even had a chance to use it. It has this interesting uh, chit activation system where you put, uh, you have to, you sort of have to manage your units. Right, every unit has three tokens, and you sort of have to break it up because the ones you use one round have to sort of set off to the side while you use them, use the the other ones, and so you have to sort of manage that. And they come out randomly. I just love everything about For What Remains, and I'm looking forward to playing it a lot more in this coming
1: year. Very glad to hear it, Walker. My number six is Gods Love Dinosaurs. I, as well as Walker, am a huge fan of it. There's something about deeply accessible Euros that have subtle little trade-offs where you suddenly realize in turn six that you messed everything up in turn two that I find very, very appealing. And one thing that Walker didn't mention, because another thing that I love about Euros, is tempo management. Knowing that A has to come before B, but after C, and then worrying about how everyone else is going to start triggering these events. Because every animal activates on a different timetable, and that influences how you draft tiles. And that tension is so lovely and so marvelous, and it brings the player interaction to it. Because far too many Euro games where you draw tiles to build onto your own map, don't have enough substantive interaction for my tastes, even though I love tile-lane games. But God's Love Dinosaur thread, threads that needle and manages to make a profound statement about giant death lizards and theology all at the same time. Number six, God's Love Dinosaurs. Number five for me is Praga Kaput Rigni. This is
2: another very heavy Euro it's got these very interesting physical dials that you manipulate, and they actually stop you from doing things that you're not supposed to do and trigger things that happen that you might forget. So I love that about the game. It's very visual. It's got these giant bandstands where you're moving cubes up and down. It has a huge decision space, different avenues to to look at, different tracks to go up, tiles to put on the board, uh, huge combos that trigger off each other almost to the point that you're going to forget you know, half the stuff you're supposed to do. So it is a little off that way, but uh, I'm looking forward to playing a lot more of this game and seeing what else, because just after just a few plays, this is what it has presented. I'm looking forward to see what other things we can pull out of it for sure. Praga, Kaput, Rigney.
1: Just shy of my top 10, definitely in my top 20. Number five for me is Versailles 1919. I was very much looking forward to this. And it very much delivered because I love the thematic elements of the great powers coming together at the end of World War I and ruining the rest of the world because they don't know what they're doing. And it's all about making these terrible, terrible trade-offs of your imperial ambitions completely ignoring the will or self-determination of vast swaths of people and not caring about it. So very much like Meltwater or Ladies and Gentlemen, it's a game about simulating being a complete jerk. And I very much appreciate that element. It's a negotiation game. I would have liked it even more if there was a little bit more opportunity for deal making. There's still lots of opportunities for deal making, but it's not constant back and forth and constant negotiation. Very often you're able to do things by yourself or just set things up by the area majority element to take care of what you need done, which is okay. It's also a touch over long, but I really like the way issues are resolved and then unresolved case depending it's a fabulous representation of the period you'll laugh you'll cry you'll lose 15 pounds you'll learn about history and you'll enact the Sykes-Picot agreement even though that was a terrible idea so I, I very much think that Versailles 1919 is one of those great accessible GMT games that has a number of Euro elements and a number of historical vaguely simulationist elements designed by the venerable and famous war game designer Mark Herman in collaboration with Jeff Engelstein, famous Eurogame designer. It is a fabulous design. I'm a big fan, Versailles 1919.
2: Coming at number four, I have Undaunted North Africa. This is by the same designer that put out what for what remains. And this is just a solid system and I can't wait to see what else they do with this. This is a system where you're your deck building you're drawing four cards at the beginning of your turn and one has to be spent for initiative and you want to play all of these cards but you want to win initiative because if you don't win initiative then your opponent goes and the wounds they cause could make you lose those cards that you have left in your hand so you won't get to play them it's such an interesting game and the fact that they didn't go heavy into line of sight or movement or any of that stuff. They made it nice, minimalistic flow is real. The, the choices, not only where to move your troops or how to move the troops, it's, it's uh, which cards to discard, which cards to buy, how to cycle your deck. Everything is there. I love undaunted and North Africa came out this year. Give it a try.
1: Undaunted North Africa is also my number four for 2020. David Thompson, I'm just going to call it, is the designer of the year as far as I'm concerned. He came out with three excellent designs in 2020 alone. And this was also the year where I discovered his absolutely genius earlier release, pavlov's house which for my money is probably the best solo war game that i've ever played definitely among the top tier and undaunted north africa is a further refinement of that excellent system that we saw in undaunted normandy that initiative system gets me every time the tense decisions all the time i'm not a huge fan of some of the scenarios and i'm not a huge fan of the change of scale but the introduction of vehicles is very interesting and simultaneously very accessible We're supposed to expect from next year in Osprey Games Undaunted Reinforcements, which is going to introduce vehicles to Normandy and introduce new elements to North Africa and offer multiplayer versions as well as a solo option. I cannot wait similarly for more things in the Undaunted system. David Thompson co-designed this with Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson also co-designed for what remains with other designers. But honestly, for me, David Thompson is absolutely a designer to watch. Huge fan. And number four for me is also Undaunted North Africa.
2: Coming in at number three, Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. Now, this literally limped onto my list at like the back twenties. I thought, well, I should put a big 4X game on here. And then slowly <laughs> as these, as it matched up against these other games, I just thought, which would I rather play? It just kept beating these other games out. I just love these huge rolling sort of 4X, you know, like either explore out in a totally different direction than other people or go right in after them and be in their face and and get in their way. Like you said, this ship designing where if I you have all the different schematics in front of you, it's like I make this engine better. So every ship that has that blueprint now on the board moves faster and you create these cool weapons and these Interesting combos, and you can totally—I shouldn't say turn on a dime, but you can just like look over and say, "Okay, well he's suddenly got this shield that I have to do something about." It's like, "Okay, well I'm gonna have to get this weapon that will I'll you know start putting it on all my ships, and now you know he's in trouble." I've made these glass cannons, and I've got to make sure I keep on that side of the galaxy because if I go against these other people, it's it's very interesting. Eclipse, and I love how they did this. This new edition is fantastic, and you know they've done away with. They've made it so more so much more streamlined and fun to play as opposed to being tedious to play.
1: My number three is for what remains. Uh, And honestly, as I said before, catch me on a different day and some of these rankings will change. And this is absolutely true of For What Remains and Undaunted. I've commented before that in many ways their strengths are mirror opposites to each other. What I love about For What Remains is its unique activation system, its brilliant solo system, and the fact that it's wide open and you can army build. Whereas what I love about Undaunted is how it is tight and constrained and focused and that initiative system gets me each and every time and does an interesting thing about deck building. And so I would happily put Undaunted at three at a different day, or For What Remains at four, but absolutely fabulous two-player games, both both by David Thompson in conjunction with other people. For What Remains is a marvelous, marvelous product put up by DVG. and if you are at all into skirmish gaming, as I very, very much am, For What Remains gets my highest possible recommendation, and that is my number three, For What Remains. Coming in at number two, Project Elite. There's
2: no two ways about it. We both love Space Hulk. We both love aliens. This is just sort of a merger or if not just more of the same, except now it's in real time. It's sort of like a tower defense. These aliens are creeping towards your base. You're frantically rolling dice. You're getting interesting weapons. You're, you're zooming around the board. You're being the hero. You're. You're just doing it all. There's a ton of new characters. Artipi uh, Games put this game out years ago, and it was almost impossible to get. Then Simon Games did a Kickstarter, so now it's more accessible. They did a fantastic job. I will play this anytime, any night. Project Elite. Love this game.
1: Just shy of my top ten. I just find it a little too repetitive, and uh, the real-time element, honestly, is a crutch for the fact that what's going on isn't actually all that interesting. I'll actually have more to say about that specific element later. No diss on Project Elite. It's just, you know, real-time dice rolling is fun. Absolutely, 100%. I'll do it. But you have more enthusiasm for the game than I do, which is fine. My number two is a game you haven't played. It's called Horizon War Zero Dark. This is a tabletop skirmish miniatures rule set done by Roby Jenkins, who also did Horizon Wars, which I'm also a fan of. And again, uh, comparing these three excellent skirmishy systems, Undaunted for What Remains and Horizon Wars Zero Dark, I had a tough time making the call. But at the end of the day, what Zero Dark does to just nudge it out in my current preference system is the fact that there are a number of different Wide open scenarios, which is one of the virtues of Undaunted. It has an excellent dice-based allocation system that's a fascinating little tactical puzzle every time you make a resolution. It's not cumbersome, but at the same time offers you a marvelous array of choices. You get to spend from a menu of choices every time you pick up the dice. And it is solo, co-op, or competitive. It is the miniatures gaming rule set. For these troubled times the ai system is brilliant and very easy to manage and nonetheless offers genuine threat and surprises it's being very well supported by the designer there's already been one supplement rulebook out already called operation nemesis not to be confused with nemesis Nemesis is not a good game. Operation Nemesis for Horizon War Zero Dark is most excellent. And honestly, I think Roby Jenkins, very much like David Thompson, is a designer to watch. He's going to be coming out with very interesting stuff in the new year, from what I understand. And if you're all interested in miniatures wargaming, if you have any miniatures at all, you have enough miniatures to run Horizon War Zero Dark. I would encourage you go check it out if that sounds like the kind of thing you'd be interested in. It is a marvelous system, and I've had a ton of fun with it this year, being stuck alone, having to find some way to get my tabletop wargaming fix. My number two is Horizon Wars Zero Dark. Walker, what is your personal number
2: one game of the year? My personal number one game of 2020 is a game that will stay in my collection. It is Uwari Deluxe Edition. It is a game that's full of choices, full of fantastic art, full of uh, very uh, simplistic mechanisms, super easy to set up, plays easy, super easy to teach, huge decision space, everything about it. We have area majority here. We have longest route over here. We have comboing totems here, tons of stuff, tons of maps, new, new content that we haven't even looked at yet, solo mode, Love Uwari Deluxe Edition. If you haven't tried it yet, try it. It's a fantastic
1: game. My personal number one is Beyond the Sun. It was my favorite Euro game of the year. Didn't really do anything stunningly original, but managed to bring everything together in a very satisfying package, which is very par for the course in the Euro design space. But what really gets me every time is the evolving action spaces. It takes this notion of a tech tree and combines it with Some of the better elements of worker placement, where every round you get new worker spaces available. It doesn't have any cumbersome upkeep to take care of this. There's no cumbersome round structure. There's no overly cumbersome system of managing resources. You just get to the straight tense trade offs of managing scarcity without having to deal with 17 different kinds of resources in an upkeep phase and 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 a and a cumbersome income phase on top of that you have to balance your tech needs and your placement with the side military board where you get to engage in direct area control with your opponents on top of this you get lovely little special powers and it's a marvelous package i think that beyond the sun is the best euro game of the year and i absolutely recommend it unreservedly put up a rear grand this year my personal number one is beyond the sun i agree with you
2: looks really nice on the shelf too
1: damn you walker and those are our top tens of 2020. But there's a game that's better than all of those, Walker.
2: There is. Mark, go ahead.
1: It is with great pleasure and great satisfaction, I can say, that our game of the year for 2020 is Cosmic Frog by Jim felly and Devious Weasel Games. In a market that is oversaturated with... Games that are fine and doing the same thing over and over again, Jim Felly has always been an iconoclast, but my appreciation for his work has always been tempered because I felt like sometimes the gameplay didn't live up to his mad genius. But with Cosmic Frog, we have something that is utterly, utterly unique. The theme itself is remarkable. You play as three-mile-high immortal Cosmic Frogs devouring a dying world. And you get to stomp around with marvelous special powers, art that is, that literally has to be seen to be believed. Some of the best artwork I've seen in years that fully matches the theme. It is in your face. It is confrontational and it is mean without feeling arbitrary. Not necessarily for every, everyone, but if you enjoy confrontational games where there's enough decision space to be able to go your own way or jump on somebody's face and deep kiss them with tongue and steal the swamp that was in their gullet and then toss them out into the ether and punt them straight into dimension five. And then I love cosmic frog Walker.
2: Yeah. These are things that happen. Like you hear the theme, (laughs) you think, you think that this is just going to be some silly or, you know, abstracted thing that doesn't actually happen. This is what you do in this game. You, you, You plummet down. There's this giant impact as you land on this floating shard. You start devouring this stuff up into your gullet. And you're playing this mini game off to the side to try to get more oomph and special powers and stuff. And and like you said, and and it has this evolving thing where you say, okay, this is not working for me. This guy's doing this. I need to stop him. I'm going to switch, switch my special power up so it can either attack more or do this other ability. It's just an all around very interesting and fun game love cosmic frog will play at any time and the fact that it plays at such you know different uh player counts with no problem the setup is slightly tedious i don't want to you know just go on about how everything's great but the, the setup is a little tedious but once you get past that uh i think it's a fantastic game
1: It's one of those things where it really is the total package. I agree with you that the setup is tedious, but the components are marvelous, and so you do get to appreciate these lovely chunky tiles that are of varying thickness based on their value, and you get to set up on this lovely neoprene mat. This is the culmination of many years of really astonishing creativity, and I cannot wait to see what Jim Felly comes up with next. This is, again, not something you're going to find from any other designer on the market. We might enjoy Steffen Feld games. We might even enjoy games like Reiner-Kadensia Tile Layers, and I might think they're among the best in the business. But at the end of the day, nothing is quite like Cosmic Frog. And it's not just its uniqueness. Its uniqueness is actually coupled with tense, compelling, engaging, wild, amusing unexpected gameplay i cannot recommend cosmic frog enough if you are willing to deal with slightly confrontational games where you're rolling dice to punch people in the face it is a masterwork and unreservedly the so very wrong about games game of the year 2020
2: now on to our other categories mark which are sometimes fun i like fun sometimes silly (laughs) all right let's start with uh best expansions i I have a few here, and I'm sure some of them are the same as yours. Like Root Underworld was fantastic. It didn't make my top three. I very much like it. The Civ Terra Incognita expansion, because we played it quite a bit this year. And I thought, it. it, not that it, you know, is over and above any of the other expansions. It's just the fact that it brought so much more to that game and brought it to the forefront and made it more playable. I thought it was a, a, a reason to... Talk
1: about Agreed. it. Agreed. Uh, Civilization of New Dawn Terra Incognita is one of my top three expansions. Would I rather play Root? Absolutely. Any day of the week. But Civilization of New Dawn was a deeply flawed game, and Terra Incognita, in terms of value added, is definitely one of the best expansions of the year in terms of how much it improved the base product. And then this, the last one I have listed here is the Endeavor Age, uh, Age of Expansion. Expansion also another solid expansion minimal rules overhead maximum variety i agree the other two expansions that i just want to give a shout out to in addition to civilization and new Dawn, Terra incognita is spirit island jagged earth because the amount of variety and design work that goes into each and every expansion of spirit island is truly mind-boggling every minor power of which there are dozens and dozens has been finely tuned and gone over very carefully this is truly one of the best developed game systems on the market today and jagged earth continues in the grain tradition of spirit island and uh since we're going to kind of cheat and say gloomhaven jaws of the lion is an expansion it absolutely deserves recognition as an amazing amazing product it's a great entryway for gloomhaven if you're at all inclined to see what all the fuss is about much more affordable much more manageable than the full package and it's still the same marvelous card play
2: now, to a new category that we've added just for this year, because this year is so fantastic. This is the best COVID or solo or two-player games. I just listed a bunch. I don't know how many did you I've list. i got them. a bunch
1: too, yeah. I tried to put them in little categories.
2: Yeah, these are pretty just the games that I, because I played so many solo games that I've never played before. You're going to have a lot. More in depth things to say because you, you've played solo games before. I have never played solo games before. You've been popular. I with, have never
1: been popular. That's why. Same with, uh,
2: two player games. I know you and I play a ton of two player games, but just they, we played them a lot more this year. Anyway, usually when we, when we have a chance to play two player games, you go back to like very old classics, like, anyway yeah so these are the ones that we played a lot this year go ahead you do your list first Mark.
1: well first off there's just uh, the category of skirmishy type games because i love skirmish games and don't have nearly enough time to play them two player. so horizon Wars zero dark and blood on the rails both have fabulous solo systems because ai systems often tend to be stupid or cumbersome and both of these games manage to avoid both of those you get interesting reactions from your opponents without having to go through an endless spreadsheet of if then considerations and and so I just wanted to give a shout out to those two excellent skirmish solo games.
2: The ones I have on my list for that are Undaunted North Africa. Seastead we also played. It was a fantastic two-player game. My City. we played solely two-player with the Legacy version. It was great. Fujikoro I played both two-player and solo. It was fantastic. It just barely didn't make it into my top ten. It's this fantastic game where you're like minecrafting weapons and armor and depending on what color and how many cubes you put in determines how good the armor or weapon is. I thought that was very interesting and played a lot of Fox in the forest duet. It's a great trick taking game that came out in 2020. And, and I already talked about crab, uh, Praga Kaput Rigni It just has a very minimalistic solo variant. There's one that you can, you know, go to their website and see a more in depth, you know, solo variant, but the one that they have in the book is so easy and, And still engages you. I don't mind playing it that way.
1: Yeah, a lot of people seem to have enthusiasm for the solo designs of people like David Torktze, where you have an entire five-page rulebook about how to deal with the solo system. I've never really been enthusiastic about that, so I very much, like you, appreciate solo systems like those in Praga Caput Regni, where they're very, very simple and straightforward. And you get to deal with the game as it feels like in normal situations. Iwari has a very good solo system. It doesn't feel quite like the normal game, but it was relatively simple to apply, albeit with Thundergriff's terrible rulebooks. The Imperial Spells and Seam solo system was very, very, very good indeed. I was a big fan of that. That's available in the expansion. And Nadavalier, as I mentioned before, is a very good solo system that replicates a lot of the feel of the base game. And so those are some of the Euros released in 2020 that I felt were very, very good solo. I wouldn't necessarily recommend Iwari or or two-player, uh, but Imperial is, is quite good two-player. And the final thing I just want to stress again is UltraQuest. UltraQuest is great solo and two-player, and one of the things that's best about it is you're not even losing anything because three- and four-player UltraQuest is a mistake.
2: All right, and that is the COVID two-player solo category. On to the next one, which is the best game you didn't like.
1: I love this category. This is the category where we talk about games that we respect more than we enjoy, right? These are the games where we're like, oh, yeah, that was really well done. I don't want to play it. And I find this uh, sometimes even more telling than the games that you can just recommend unreservedly. Uh, so I've got three listed here actually of games that I thought were very well done, and I don't want to, t- and that I either don't want to touch or uh, feel like they didn't quite hit with me. I only have one. I'll just start with one that doesn't even really belong here. It's just sort of a gimme, and that's Imperial Spells and Steam. I will play Imperial Spells and Steam, and I enjoy it. It's just I don't ever feel like it's firing on all cylinders. Did I just make an unintentional train pun again? Can you say that? Do trains have cylinders? I guess they don't. Okay, never mind. Good. I've, I've avoided the train pun. I never really felt like it was it was living up to its full potential, and I tried to articulate that in, in the review. I respect it more than I enjoy it, and part of it is the pacing. Part of it is the way the second half of the game feels. Uh, but very, very excellent design, and I respect the design work that went into Imperial a lot. Uh, I just feel like it doesn't quite sing with me as it ought to. Another game under roughly the same category, was Tekenu, Obelisk of the Sun. I respect a lot of the design work there, and Daniela Tashini knows what he's doing, but oh my goodness, does it end up being an arbitrary set of disconnected building requirements and themeless managerial nonsense that doesn't grab me at all. And there's a lot of strategic depth there and a lot of trade-offs to be made. I just don't want any part of it.
2: The two games I have in here are On Mars. We played that quite a few times. I understand that a lot of people like it, but it definitely was just not for me. It was just one of these games that every time you pull it out, you'd have to relearn the rules. And the second one was Imperial Struggle. I think if you were more into that sort of historical period or more into two player games, this would be a fantastic game for you. But it just did not do it for me. There just seemed a lot of, a lot of rigmarole, as they say. <laughs>
1: Imperial struggle was in my top 20. It was just side so my top 10. And just to reiterate something that you said before and that I, that I said as well this episode, this was such a solid year of gaming that I, I even feel that our 11 to 20 could have been a top 10 in other years. That's how that's how deep the field was. I had no problem coming up. I had to actually winnow my list down to 20 to get my actual sorting mechanism. Really solid year. Possibly the best year in gaming since the first year we did this in 2017, where we had Gloomhaven and Serial Confluence and Spirit Island and Guards of Atlantis and oh my goodness. Anyway, embarrassment of riches. The last game I have in this category is on Mars as well. This to me is the, the, the ultimate sort of uh, soulless Euro that doesn't come together and... Yeah, there are systems to be grappled there and they all kind of fit together sort of, but not in any way that I want to engage with and
2: yeah, n- not
1: that I want to
2: not that I want to put together though.
1: Yeah, but Vitaliserta has never really I mean I still haven't played Kanban. I should really play Kanban before I write off the works of Vitaliserta, but I've now played 3 Vital Vitaliserta games and as far as I'm concerned he's over 3, I very much think that when it comes to heavier euros he's not really calibrating to my tastes. On Mars is definitely one of the best games this year that I did not enjoy. Which brings us to the related category. Worst game that you liked. These are games that could probably be called Guilty Pleasures. You don't really respect the design. You wouldn't necessarily recommend them to other people, but gosh darn it, you enjoy the heck out of them when you do get to play them with a stupid grin on your face. Mine is Tidal Blades, Mark.
2: (laughs) Terrible game,
0: but the theme
2: (laughs) is so good that I love it. I don't care that, you know, the being denied all the dice and having to just uh, recycle them over and over again. I just love how the whole layout's done, how the production is so high, how it makes me feel that I'm in the game. I've got this guy's back. I'm going through these trials. I'm making him the hero that he wants to be. Title Blades, I'll play it anytime, even though it's a terrible game.
1: Your enthusiasm is evident from every time you explain the game to a new player and you take that box lid and you shove it right in their face and you say, welcome to Naviri." Welcome to Naviri! (laughs) Yeah,
2: love title blades.
1: Uh, I, as well, have three games on this list, worst game that I did like. One of them is Infinity Gauntlet Love Letter. This is a game where you draw a card and play a card and you do whatever the card says you do, and... I do at least appreciate I, – I had some dumb fun with the first Love Letter, but Love Letter, the default version, has player elimination. And at least in Infinity Gauntlet, you get to make Walker play to the very end and watch him suffer because he does not like Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, no, sir. I, I don't have any enthusiasm for the theme. I don't think that the decision-making is particularly quality. I just really like how it instantiates one-be-all in a slightly different way, and I very much enjoy maintaining some of the goofy uh, fun of Love Letter in a format that doesn't run afoul of things like Player Elimination.
2: My last one is uh, Last Aurora. Uh, I've waited for this game, and it's like a post-apocalyptic race. You're building these cool trailers out and putting these giant weapons on them, and you're picking up these survivors, and you're trying to get to this ship before it leaves port, or else, you know, everyone will die out of this harsh winter and you're rocketing along, you know, taking losses as you can. And even though the like like we said in the review, the turn order is painfully bad, but I think other than that, that the gameplay is not too too terrible.
1: <laughs> they can put that on the back of the box. Not too too terrible.
2: <laughs> not too too terrible.
1: I had a great deal of fun this year with the Top Gun Strategy game. The game where you first play volleyball and then you do a dogfighting thing. And I will say, first of all, that the dogfighting is surprisingly interesting. It gets a lot of the sort of double-guessing and head fakes and psych-outs that you would get in a more convoluted, complicated game like X-Wing or the Battlestar Galactica game or any sort of movement templates-based game there. And it's very quick and very visceral. And the volleyball segment is stupid and aggressively dumb. And it's just there because it was in the movie. But I have a soft spot for the works of Prospero Hall. And for my money, Top Gun is the best work that they've done this year. I really enjoy Top Gun, despite the fact that the volleyball is grotesquely silly. The color palette.
2: I was going to say the neon pinks, man. It's so great. You want to put on your big mirrored
1: sunglasses and... Call me Iceman, Walker. And finally, another game that I think is not particularly good, but I thoroughly enjoyed and completely surprised me was Pendulum. Pendulum, I think, is Stonemeyer's best works in Scythe, which is to say it's a, it's Stonemeyer's second good game after Scythe. And this, uh, I'm going to analogize very directly to Project Elite. I don't think the Project Elite is very well designed, and the quality of decision-making, I don't think it's particularly hot. But it's still fun and tense by virtue of the fact that real-time is a great way to make you engaged and make you feel like your decisions are consequential even if all you're doing is picking up and rolling dice as fast as you can and your decisions are relatively obvious. Pendulum, similarly, is the bone driest of silly and banal worker placement where I put a worker here to get a yellow cube and then I put him, put the worker over there to turn that cube into something else and then I put a worker over there to turn that something else into points but oh my goodness put some sand timers in there and I'm surprisingly willing to suit up It's not fabulous, I don't think it's the deepest thing in the world, but I am willing to go along for the ride, even though if it were not a real-time game, I would decry it as the most mediocre piece of filth imaginable. So I still enjoy Pendulum, and if I'm able to find any other people that enjoy playing it, I would happily sit down to a game of Pendulum. And so those are some of the worst games of the year that I enjoyed. Onward to a very sad category, our biggest disappointments of 2020. So the biggest disappointments, I talked before about Prospero Hall, how much I enjoy a lot of Prospero Hall's games. I was very much hoping that Godzilla Tokyo Clash was going to be a sort of free-for-all punch-you-in-the-face joyride that would finally feel satisfying and wild and not arbitrary and silly uh it it has all the standard multiplayer conflict problems it doesn't even bother to try to address them it wasn't until black black rose wars not released in 2020 that i finally found a game that could really work in that way uh but godzilla tokyo clash was just not what i was hoping it was going to be and felt ultimately very forgettable and very bland not very fun not very well designed godzilla tokyo clash was a big big disappointment for me Next up is an expansion, an expansion I've been looking forward to for quite some time, an expansion to a game I love, Aristea Primetime. Again, making a brilliant two-player game multiplayer is hard and requires that you grapple with multiplayer conflict issues, and Primetime doesn't. I still recommend Aristea unreservedly, just I don't think that it's ever going to be a quality multiplayer experience, which quite frankly is not a huge tragedy because very few two-player games manage that transition well, but I was foolishly optimistic for Primetime and I was disappointed
2: my one and only disappointment that I have listed here is Fort. Uh, when we saw, when I saw the art for this game, when I saw how the gameplay, how it sort of sounded like there would be this great deck building and the cards you didn't use would go out and you had this huge decision space on what cards you're going to play and keep. And there was going to be this cool building of the Fort and pizza and toys. And, and it just did not pan out whatsoever. So Fort definitely, the biggest disappointment for me this year.
1: I would have been disappointed if I'd had any enthusiasm for it to begin with, but uh, I didn't really like Grant Rodiek's earlier output, so I guess I wasn't terribly shocked when I didn't like it. My biggest disappointment this year, actually, in some ways, was Sky Tier. Because up until this point, every MOBA-style game, whether it was distantly MOBA-related, something like Aristea, which doesn't really feel very moba to me, but some people call it that, or whether it was strictly a MOBA recreation, something like... Radiant, which is a fabulous game, or something weird like Yellow Darkness, or something minis heavy like Rum and Bones, I have enjoyed all of them. Sky Tier was the first game to ape the sort of MOBA experience that I found tedious and unengaging, and so I was very, very, very disappointed because up to that point I thought that the genre could do no wrong in my eyes. A lot of people love them some Sky Tier, a lot of people think it's the best ever. I just didn't do anything for me. So Sky Tier was probably my biggest disappointment of 2020.
2: Now on to the biggest pleasant surprises. I have but two. And I've already talked about God's Love Dinosaurs, how I had no idea that it was coming out or what it was when it was brought under the table. I thought this was just a fantastic little Euro game that, that packs huge punch in such a little box.
1: Absolutely. Came out of nowhere, was not expecting anything out of it. Really, really, really good and made both of our lists. I'll just echo what I said about Pendulum. Pendulum was one of my biggest pleasant surprises of 2020. The fact that I liked it was a huge shock to me. And I don't think it's brilliant. It didn't make my top 20, for example, but still really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Also, I'd just like to echo My City. I didn't think that I would want to play the same polyomino tiling game 24 times, time after time after time after time. And I thought that I was done with legacy campaign formats, but leave it to Rainer Knizia to find a way to reinvigorate it. I was completely floored and unprepared for how much I enjoyed my city, especially the campaign elements. And perhaps my biggest pleasant surprise was, again, just shy of my top ten, Castles of Tuscany. I've gotten very jaded about the output of Stefan Feld. I didn't really like Castles of Burgundy, but it was fine. Bonfire's fine. A whole lot of his games are fine. Point salad, over-chromed, unnecessarily convoluted system mastery nonsense. Oh, let's graft on a set collection element for no damn reason. But Castles of Tuscany is incredibly pared down, but in the best possible ways with tempo trade-offs and building trade-offs and worrying about supply issues with respect to your opponents and who's going to get to that Benny first. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed Castles of Tuscany despite having zero expectations. Definitely, I think, my biggest surprise of 2020 in a pleasant way.
2: All right, now on to the ones that got away. And I thought we did a pretty good job on them on this year as opposed to other years. I think we buckled down this last, few, last couple weeks and got some of the you know big buzz games played. There are one or two on my list that I wish I had, but other than that, I thought we did a pretty good job, Mark. I agree, Walker. So what, what missed your attention this year? Well, I have some that I just want to play just because they look cute and amazing, and two here that I really wish I had played. Aliens, Another Glorious Day, I wish we could have got in. Before this second lockdown, and in Search for Planet X has been getting a huge lot of buzz. I wish we had played that. Rising five uh didn't go over too well with people, but I really like that sort of uh I was gonna say Minecraft, but it's uh what was that old? Dedu- game deduction the, Deduction, you know, figuring out what's what sort of incognito style. Search for Planet X. I want I definitely want to give a try to.
1: There are a number of things that I would have liked to have been able to try. Probably Hallertau, the latest Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game. Doesn't look like necessarily it's going to be able to top A Feast for Odin, but I'm always interested to try his output. Sumatra by Rainer Knizia, as I've said, the man knows how to do tile placement. This is more of a set collection thing, though. Uh, it seems very, very light, but a lot of his very light games are really, very solid. And I think Rainer Knizia has in very much a renaissance over the past couple of years, so I would like to try that. Etherfields by Awakened Realms. Most of their out- output, I think, is trash, but you have to keep your eye open because sometimes it's surprising. And we very much enjoyed Tainted Grail, and so maybe Etherfields would have hit the same note. Tough to tell. The biggest thing, though, for me, and this is very, very much another installment of our long running feature, Screw You Canada, is Trickshot by Artem Nichiporov. Some, a lot of people in America have their copies. Some people in Asia have their copies. Canadians do not have their copies. And this is a game about ice hockey, Walker. This is a game about ice hockey. This is an insult that we do not have our copy of Trickshot yet. It's a really, really excellent two-player game. We've played earlier versions, but we don't have the final production version. I want my copy of Trickshot, Walker. Agreed. The cute games that I
2: want to play, Honey Buzz, Calico... And like you said earlier, I haven't had a chance to try Horizon Wars Zero Dark. I definitely want to give that a roll. I would be happy to show it to you. Next up is the most anticipated of 2021. I have but one game on this list because the rest go on the list
1: after that one. (laughs) Okay, well. well, then why don't I start with the games that I'm looking forward to? Uh, there's Oath by Cole Worley. Cole Worley, of course, needs no introduction. Brilliant designer. And this, again, is him trying to fiddle with the kind of legacy format. And if anybody can reinvigorate it, then I think he, he might have a shot. Everything by Mind Clash in 2021, namely the new Anachrony expansions, uh, the, Ver- the Perseverance Chronicles. Mind Clash, I think, so far has a sterling record, and they absolutely design the kind of Euros that I want to play. The same is true of Splatter Spellin, and they're supposed to be coming out with a new game, possibly this year, called Horseless Carriage. And Splatter is absolutely an insta-buy for me, as far as I'm concerned. They know how to do Euros. There's also Guards of Atlantis 2, by Artzim Nichapurov, supposed to be fulfilling this year, but who knows? It could be another instance of Screw You Canada. Maybe we'll get into 2023. Tough to tell. We've, again, we've played early versions of it, and it's absolutely sublime so i can't wait to get my hands on it and finally there are a couple of space combat games in the tabletop miniatures sphere they're going to be releasing early in 2021 and that is a billion suns from mike hutchison who designed gaslands one of our favorite tabletop miniatures games This time it's going to be about giant spaceships instead of Hot Wheels cars, which, you know, no game is perfect, but I'm very much keen on that because I love science fiction. And similarly, I talked before about the fascinating output of Roby Jenkins. Well, he's going to be designing... A game called Horizon Wars Infinite Dark, which is him taking his brilliant D12 dice combat system from Zero Dark and kind of porting it to a spaceship combat game. And I cannot wait to play that. I've seen some early production work and it is definitely shaping up to be something interesting. And so those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to in 2021. The one game I'm looking forward to in 2021 is Frostpunk. It looks fantastic.
2: The fact that it's got this huge arcing story and hopefully it'll play great solo or with more players and this whole sort of constant under constant stress, I think will be much better with a group of players. Didn't much like the video game by myself, but I think if a bunch of people around the table all working together to overcome, you know, these hardships, I think it's going to be a very interesting game looking forward to trying Frostpunk.
1: I don't want to be a downer, Walker, but uh, what do you think the over-under is on Frostpunk actually releasing in 2021? In
2: 2025? Very good. Very good. 2025 is a good year. I don't
1: don't think you heard my question, but that's fine. Onward to the next category, and it, it, it sucks to end on a downer, but I think it's appropriate. The game you want to be so, so good, but you know won't be. What do you got for us, Walker?
2: Freedom 5, Mark. I'm sure it's on your list as well. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Only because I forgot about it. (laughs) Only (laughs) Gotcha. We love Sentinels the Multiverse, and it's a fantastic card game. They're coming out with a board game, and I want it to be so good. The miniatures look amazing. The concept looks good, and I just hope that it all plays out. I'm worried that it's going to be way longer than it needs to be, and that it will cycle over and over again. What I mean is that there won't be a a good enough build-up to the end.
1: Mm. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Steven Gibson's attached, and he's one of the best artists in the industry as far as I'm concerned. The Sadler Brothers are attached, and they do wonderful co-op games, but the company doesn't have the best track record, and it's by Richard Lanius, who did Defenders of the Realm, and it's kind of sort of a Defenders of the Realm elaboration, and Defenders of the Realm was kind of bad, so yeah, I'm with you. What else you got? I have Titan. It's this huge plastic
2: strip mine of a planet and you're building down, you're creating these modules and you're sending out these drones and it looks fantastic. You're setting up this pipe network that like slots right into this giant board and it looks like it's it looks fantastic. All these different expansions because it's this huge Kickstarter. So it looks like it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be awful. I know it. I can't <laughs> wait. And lastly for me is a game called Wonderland's War. It's by the same people that did title blades, Druid City. It it has these fantastic poker chips. It's sort of like this bag building based on Alice in Wonderland, it's got this interesting drafting where you're going around the Mad Hatter's table and and you're picking up these abilities and cards and chips and then you're fighting these battles on the outside and I'm really hoping that it all comes together and, and creates this interesting game and uh, we can only hope.
1: So I've got two entrants here on this category that I actually put in this same category last year. Uh, so, these are holdovers from 2019, and those are the two game, the two of the games from my favorite designer in the world, Erica Buyores, despite the fact that I've never played any of her games. That is because she's designing the Steven Universe Beat to Palooza card battling game, which again, some people already have, but screw you, Canada. And uh, I have no faith that it's going to be good, but I love Steven Universe so much with the fiery passion of a burning sun. And she's also designing Scott Pilgrim Miniatures of the World, the Scott Pilgrim Miniatures game, which I have also no reason to think will be good, and I've had no reason to think they would have been good in 2020, but they didn't get released in 2020, so there you go. The only, I, I would also point out that the third game that I talked about last year as wanting to be good and no one was Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core, which just snuck in for 2020, and sure enough, was was pretty solidly mediocre, but... Worth playing. The final note that I'll add on games you want to be so so good to no, know won't be is Pax Renaissance Second Edition, and and this is a bit of a again a strange category because I know it's going to be good. I've been playing Pax Renaissance Second Edition with some of the new cards for a long time now, uh, but the actual changes they've introduced in terms of the graphic design and in terms of the color choices and the components for for Second Edition. It's one of those cases where they've assiduously not listened to the very consistent feedback from the user base. And I'm not going to be the the kind of person that says you should always accept all criticism and all input from all your fans. Absolutely not. You should ex- exercise some editorial control. But... The card design strikes me as a step backward. The color choices strike me as a a step backward. All the component choices seem at best a sideways step rather than upgrade. So I think this is going to be a tremendous missed opportunity. But what the hey, I'll remain optimistic and I will reserve final judgment until I get the final product. So that's PAX Renaissance 2nd Edition. Wonderful game. Probably won't get the graphic overhaul that it deserves. And that is our 2020 Extravaganza Spectacular Show. Goodbye, 2020. We hardly knew you. So
2: check out our streaming. We're doing all sorts of we're doing all our games online now. And we're streaming almost every other day. So check out the schedule on our guild. Best movie of the year, Mark. Hamilton. Weathering with you.
1: Thank you very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolltodice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter at TheGamesYouLike. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, we hope to see you again soon, and Happy New Year. Peace!